All right, open up to Genesis chapter 3 if you're not there yet. Sorry, I had some technical issues. They're now over, hopefully. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right, so we are going to finish. Um, If you have your study sheet from last week, go ahead and use that one um, because that has the blanks filled in. If you don't have that one from last week or if you're just too lazy to go get it from the other part of your Bible that you stuffed it, don't worry about it. Just use the one that you got. Okay, so we've been talking about biblical relationships, and we don't have a whole lot of time to get into the content, so I'm just going to breeze through some of the review so we can get to where we're going. So we talked about the relationship triangle. Somebody give me a quick recap of the relationship triangle. Jack. Okay, I didn't just say explain the diagram. I said explain what it meant. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Do you want to give it a second shot? I want to the I'm pretty sure he does. Okay, go ahead. What am I doing? All right, go ahead, Kenzie. Get some life together. You have to have a relationship with God. But if you have a relationship with someone else who isn't at the same point, like where you are with God, it's, you're going farther away from God. Yes. So exactly. So if you desire to be close with God and the other person doesn't want to have a relationship with God, how well is that going to work out? Not at all. It's not going to work out at all. At all. And so either, and this is what I've seen. This is what I've seen. I've, I've been in youth ministry for a long time and I know myself and I was once a teenager, believe it or not. I once was a teenager. I had to be a teenager before I became a 35-year-old. Just, you know, let you know. I know, right? It's like insane. I know. So, but, but, what I have found is that when it comes to my life, what I will do is that I will justify reasons why I'm not being faithful to God in order to have a relationship with that other person. And I'm not talking necessarily about dating. I'm talking even about friendships. And so it can cover all relationships. If there's a person in your life who they do not want to walk with God and yet you desire to, you're going to have some serious problems. Your relationship is going to be limited. It's just the truth of the matter. There are people that I wanted to have close friendships with, but I couldn't because they did not want to walk with God. And as I spent time with them, I found that my desires and their desires were completely separate. It doesn't mean that I couldn't be acquaintances with them. It doesn't mean that I couldn't associate with them from time to time. But we just didn't have things in common. I'm going to just give you a very quick example of this. So in high school, and I've given you guys my story before, but for those of you that don't know, I was the class president. And so in order to be the class president, you have to be somewhat liked by people <laughs> because they vote for you. All right. And so so I was I was liked by my class, but yet like I was included and I was welcomed in with the popular crowd. But yet I really wasn't. It was a weird dynamic. They respected me for my beliefs and for what I stood for, but I was never really welcome. I could walk into their group. I could sit down with them and have lunch. I could be in their social settings from time to time, but they never invited me to the parties where they were going to be illegally drinking and doing other drugs at people's houses. They just didn't. And so I'm thankful for that. But there was part of me where, I'm not going to lie, I felt left out because I liked them. I wanted them to like me and they didn't invite me to that kind of stuff. And so it just is what it was. And God protected me from a lot of that. But that's just how things went. I'm a born-again believer. I trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am his representative. And so as a result, there are certain things that I'm not going to be welcome to. Once again, this isn't rocket science. But there's a lot of Christians who compromise and never mention anything about their faith because maybe they're not even saved to begin with. Or like the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 29 or 25, where it talks about the fear of man bringeth the snare. 
but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So when we fear the opinions of men more than the opinion of God, you will compromise and turn your back on God every single time. And that's in your dating relationships, and that's in your friendships, that's in your homes, everywhere. And so this is very, very important. So in order to have good relationships that are very fruitful, that are very beneficial, that will last a lifetime, you have to be close with God because God is the creator. He is the person who created the whole concept of relationships. And so you must be close with him in order to have good relationships. And if you just don't buy into that, that's fine. Go ahead, try it your way, and then come back to me and tell me how it goes. Because I've tried that, and I have gotten burned on many different fronts because I've tried it my own way. I've had friendships and relationships from the world's perspective, and every single time I've been burned. The best relationship I've ever had has been because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And the people that have been the closest to me that have actually benefited my life for good, true good, is because they've loved the Lord themselves too. So that gets us into talking about this relationship between God and mankind. And last week we talked about why was man created and why was woman created. So if you have your blank still unfilled from last week, we talked about why was man created. In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we talked about how he was supposed to have dominion. That's your first blank if you don't have that one down. That he was supposed to have dominion. God told Adam to have dominion over all the creatures of the earth and over all the earth. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. He told him that he is supposed to till the ground and to dress and keep the Garden of Eden. That's why man was even placed in the garden to begin with. And then in Genesis 3, chapter 8, we saw that God came down to spend time with Adam. He spent time with Eve. And so God desired to have a close relationship with them. And nothing's changed about that, by the way. God deeply desires to have a good, intimate, personal relationship with you. And every single lost person. That's why a verse that I quote all the time in here, 2 Peter 3, 9. That God is not willing that, what does it say? That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is for every single human being. Every single one. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they're from. I don't care what they struggle with. I don't care what kind of mistakes they've made in their life. God desires to be in a relationship with every single human being. And so knowing that, knowing that, that's why it helps us to understand why he even died on the cross for all humanity, because he wants to have that relationship. All right, and so then what did God require of man? He required Adam to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion, and he required Adam to freely eat from every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we talked about that last week, and then we spent some time going through Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25, talking about the creation of woman. And we spent some time talking about how, uh, you know, our culture um, is turning into a very, very, very unbalanced sexist culture where we're very quick to demasculinize men and make women actually make them want to be more like men. And that's the type of culture that we live in today. And we spent some time talking about that because, you know, basically me saying anything like that and even recording it and putting it on the Internet puts a huge target on me because it's not socially apropos. But here's the deal. God created men and women on purpose. There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And the fact that God decided to do it that way should tell you how much he values men and women and their purpose. Because God could do anything. Like, think about this. If you were in God's shoes and you decided to make something, you could make it in any way that you wanted. But the way that you would make it, you'd make it on purpose. God didn't just go, all right, let's go ahead and make, oh, oh. Well, I made man and woman. Well, can't go back now. Like, I didn't do anything like that. That's ridiculous. 
Like he was very purposeful. He was very intentional. He made men and he made women on purpose. And men and women are not the same. They're not the same. And I spent time talking last week about how I'm a much better person because of my wife. Because she's not like me. She doesn't think like me. She doesn't behave like me. I need her in my life. It drives me insane sometimes because she doesn't think like I think. And we get along so much better if she thought the way that I thought. <laughs> but that's not what I need. I need someone different. I need someone that's more emotionally driven. I need someone who thinks the way that she thinks because my logical black and white brain sometimes doesn't process that parts of life. And I need a woman in my life in order to make me a better person. And likewise, she needs me in her life for a, for a reason. Because that way I can balance out her emotional makeup and I can bring more logic. And then as a result, we become more balanced human beings in general. So there's nothing wrong with that. So if you guys feel that pressure, and I know that you do because I see it all over the place. It's insane. It's not right. It is okay that we have two genders. I just want to say that. I hate the fact that I have to say that. I didn't have to say that five years ago. It's completely okay. What's not okay is the gender fluidity nonsense that's going on right now. Okay. So with all that said, God knew what he was doing. He created man and he created woman. And then the big thing that I wanted to take away from this last week is this. God created man and God had an established relationship with man, with Adam. And he gave him a purpose. He gave him vision. He gave him what he wanted him to do. And then he knocked him out. And from Adam, he took the rib, which, by the way, one of the most important parts in a human body because it protects the vital organs. It's not a coincidence that he made the woman out of that bone. And so he created this woman and he created the woman and he had a relationship with her and he established her purpose and who she was and her identity. And then God brought her unto the man and then they had a relationship together. And so overall, this is how relationships should work when it comes to friendships, parental relationships, sibling relationships, dating relationships engagement, marriage relationships, all those relationships, everything should go under that perspective. That you must have a relationship with God first in order to have a proper relationship with each other. You have to. And there's probably uh, a, a good sense of maybe some of your relationships, your friendships are very dysfunctional in your own life because you've not followed this pattern. If you establish your relationship with God first, he will make sense of everything else in your life. He is the author of your life. When you were knit together in your mother's womb, he did that. And he did that on purpose. So he gave you your life. He put you in the family that he put you in. He did not do it by accident. He did it on purpose. Because there's something that he wants you to do. And so until you make this connection between you and God, which is why salvation is so important, and discipleship. Salvation, it it connects that between you and God. With your spirit, your dead spirit being united with God. And it's made alive through his spirit. And then secondly, to be discipled. To learn how to walk with God and how to have an active, living, loving relationship with God. That actually gives you meaning and purpose in life. Once you have that connection, then you can make sense of everything else in your life. And that is the truth. Because no matter where my life has taken me, as long as God and I are on the same page, everything's going to be just fine. I've been in circumstances where my world has been falling apart all around me, and yet I've been okay in here, even if it's just the most fundamental, basic parts of my relationship with God, because he and I have been on the same page. I may not know what my future holds, but I know who my God is, and that is enough for me. Because at the end, that's all you have. When you die, 
what are you going to have other than him? And then if you don't have him, what do you have? So just think about this kind of stuff. This is very, very important. And so let's end with that last paragraph, and then we'll go on to the second page. Notice that the man and woman had responsibilities to fulfill, but their first obligation is to, to their beloved creator. And as we will see, it will be impossible for man and woman to fulfill any of their personal responsibilities unless they are keeping their personal relationship with God right, pure, and in his proper place. I tell you what, the most important decisions that you're going to make, number one, is your salvation. Getting saved is the number one most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Number two, it will be the person that you marry. It will be the person that you marry. And you better be looking for the right person. You've got to be looking for the right person. And if you're going to be looking for the right person, that means that you and God are on the same page with that. And you and he have had discussions and you've opened up the word to see what you're supposed to be looking for in order to have that right person. And number three, it's your future career. Those are your top three decisions that you will make. And I'm telling you, this season you guys are in right now, this is the season where you're going to be making those decisions. Salvation, who you're going to marry, and your future career. And it's not a coincidence that now more than ever, in your guys' time of life, things are just crazy, out of order, out of line, and everyone's telling you what to do. And when it comes to what God wants you to do, a lot of people are just neglecting it. And that is the biggest mistake you could ever make. Okay, so now let's get into this. So out of this, God establishes this relationship between God and mankind. He brings the man unto the woman, and now they have a relationship because of their relationship with God. And the first thing that you see right after, right after God creates man, puts him in the garden, God creates woman, brings the woman unto the man, the very first thing that you see in chapter three is the devil shows up. This is not a coincidence. Coming out of camp, when God's working in your heart, Coming on a Sunday or on a Wednesday where God has really convicted you about something in your life, I would not be shocked if something shortly thereafter, and it probably will be something very subtle and very deceitful, will come into your life to try to pull your focus away from God. This is what he does. This is what the enemy does. The enemy does not want you to fulfill your potential and glorify God. He does not want you to, you to give your life as a living sacrifice unto God in order for him to be pleased with the things that you do. He wants you to make decisions for you and you alone. Because when you make decisions for you and you alone, you will never glorify God. You won't. It's not possible. You glorify self. And if you're so busy glorifying self, you cannot glorify God. You can't. Every single day, I have to make a decision in my own life. Am I going to worship me today and do what I want? Or am I going to worship God and do what he wants? And it is a battle. But I will tell you, it's easier and easier and easier to give God that battle when I make those decisions in his favor. If I stop making decisions in God's favor and put them in my favor, well, then it just becomes harder and harder to walk with God. The Christian walk is as very simple as that. It really is. It's not simple, easy. It's simple, logical. It's hard to live out at times because our emotions get in the way. The enemy gets in the way. And the Bible says we have three enemies. Who are they? The devil, the world, and the flesh. The flesh. And those three enemies are very, very good at what they do. So let's take a look at the devil, his approach, and we're going to be able to see how this ties in with our flesh and the world system and all that stuff. All right, so the relationship between, between God and mankind is tested, and we'll see the serpent's subtle plan of attack. We'll read through it, and we'll go back through. All right, let's get some readers. Let's go, uh, we'll read through, oh, verse five. So let's get five people. One, two, three, four. One more. You already have one. You can't take one. Five. Okay. 
In that order, one, two, three, four, five. Genesis three, verse one. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. All right, and we'll talk about what happened after that. Okay, so right out of the gate, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, period, stop. Okay, there's two things you notice here. What do you notice? What stands out to you in just that first sentence? Serpent is subtle. Subtle. Okay? So you have a serpent. What is a serpent? Let's break this down. Snake. What do snakes do? What are they good at? Hiding. Killing, hiding. Sneaking. Sneaking. <laughs> What's that? Venomous snakes. Yes, venomous snakes. They can kill you, they can hurt you, they can wound you. They can choke the life out of its victims, but they sneak up on whatever they want to kill and then they attack. One of the things we have to look out for in Mexico are baby rattlesnakes. For those of you that aren't really aware of that. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Morgan, but it's just reality. So I lovingly tell you the truth, Morgan. You're going to have to look out for baby rattlesnakes. Why? Because they have super potent venom. Super potent venom. That's right. They will kill you. Go ahead, Jack. They don't know when to stop secreting And that's why they're super potent. So baby rattlesnakes are also small, by the way. So they can hide in places that you can't see normally compared to big rattlesnakes. And when they bite, they don't have the ability to control the amount of venom that comes out. So if you get bit by a baby rattlesnake, you're probably as good as dead. So welcome to Mexico. <laughs> now, now, but this is, and this is anywhere. I mean, you can go to Arizona, you can go to California, you can go to Texas, and you can run into this kind of stuff. So this is just something good to know. Now, serpents, they're small, some of them, some are bigger, but they sneak. They like to kill. So God correlates the devil to a serpent. Now, I want you to think about this because thinking back when you were a child and you were going through Sunday school and you hit this part of the story, what do you normally see? What are the pictures they give you? What, is, what do they put up on the flannel board if you end up knowing what a flannel board is? A talking snake. Okay. Now, here's the reality behind it. We don't have enough time to work through this. We can work this at another point in time. But if you take a look and you study out Lucifer, who was Lucifer? He was the anointed cherub. So he was not an angel. He was a cherub. There's differences. There's seraphim, there's cherubim, and there's angels. They're, they're completely different. Now, they're angelic creatures. They're celestial beings is what they're called in the Bible. But Lucifer was the anointed cherub. Now, the cherub had a special role. What did the cherubs do? They covered God's throne. They covered it. So if any of you have seen pictures of the Ark of the Covenant, or anything like that, there are two cherubim that are over and they cover the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but so you had this box and inside the box of the Ark of the Covenant, you had what? There were three things there in it. You had the Aaron's rod, you had the commandments, and you had manna. 
Not mamma. You say mamma? Okay, they say mamma. I don't know what mamma is, but I know what manna is. Okay, so there's three things that are in the ark. Now, over time, you find out in the Old Testament that the rod goes away and the manna goes away, and now the, only the law is left. Who knows why, but God did it that way. That's probably another study in itself. So anyway, when it comes to the Ark of the Covenant, you had this box and there's things contained in it, but on top was a mercy seat. That is the throne of God. That's a picture of the throne of God. And then you had two cherubim that had wings extended on both sides and it covered the throne. So when the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies once a year and offer that, that lamb, the spotless lamb, and put the blood upon that altar, that altar was the seat of God. So that's the throne of God. And so what, what Moses made, God told him, is the representation of what exists up in heaven. So you have God's throne, and God's throne is covered by these cherubim. And you find out in the book of Ezekiel that there's actually four. But there used to be five, because Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God. But when he fell, now there's only four. And as you study out the cherubim, you find out they have four faces. What are the faces? Eagle. Ox, man, man. Uh, it would be the, hold on, it would be the eagle, the lion, it would be the lion. Eagle, lion, ox, which would be the beast, and man. Don't get offended. You're good. Okay, so when it came to that, they had four faces, and yet... You see the devil here rep- represented by the serpent. Now, if you take all the classification of all the animals that exist, all animals can fit into five categories. Five. Man, beast, flying creatures, and you have the lion, which are also the beast of the field, and then you have reptiles. So the fifth one was the reptile, and Lucifer was the representation of the reptile class. And so God refers to him here as the serpent. The devil did not show up as a talking snake in the garden. That's just my opinion. But there's no other place in the Bible that you see animals talking except for one other place. Yes, Balaam's ass. God opened up the mouth of that donkey and he spoke to Balaam to rebuke him. That's the only time you see in the Bible there's an animal speaking because God opened up the mouth of that animal. So here you have him as a serpent, the devil, and he's very subtle. There's a reason why he calls him a serpent. But also, if you study out 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can look up that passage later. You find out that that Lucifer, the devil, he masquerades himself as an angel of light. He makes himself look righteous and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. That's what he does. And think about it. If you were the enemy of God, what's the best way to deceive people? Yes, absolutely. You disguise yourself as the one who everyone should be worshiping and adoring. And that's why you have the term antichrist. The antichrist term is not that he's the complete opposite of Christ, although he is. He looks just like Christ. They're going to receive him as their Messiah. The nation of Israel during the tribulation period, they're going to receive the antichrist as if he is the Messiah, which means he's going to be doing a lot of the same things that Jesus did when you study out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, I've given you a ton, all right? So there's a lot right there that you just need to chew on. So when you come into this passage, you see the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. God was talking more about the personality and the character of the devil and who he was. And he was very subtle. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said. The very first thing, the very first words that are recorded from Lucifer are, yea, hath God said. Did he actually say that? Did he really? Did he really say, 
ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So number one, he questions the word of God. His tactic, first blank on the second part of your sheet, is that he questions the word of God. Every single time, this is what he does. When you know the truth about what God has said, and you want to do something different, your flesh, this world, the devil, the very first thing that it will do is it will bring up in your life, did God actually say that you weren't supposed to do that? Like, really? Is it really that big of a deal? And I'll give you just a very easy example. When it comes to dating lost people, just because we're talking about relationships and it's just easy to pick on. The Bible is very clear. Christians, born-again believers, are not supposed to date people that are unsaved. It's a principle that goes all the way through the scriptures. It starts back in the Old Testament because when you study out a Christian, it's correlated to an ox. A Christian is like a, just a, a, a beast of the field that is a hard, hard worker. Lost people are correlated to donkeys. And in the Old Testament, it says that when you're plowing a field, you should never take an ox and an ass together and plow the field together. You're not supposed to do that. In farming, they know that. Whenever you're farming, you never take two different animals and you put them together in a yoke and then make them plow a field. Why? Yeah, it'll wear them out. It's better to just have one ox alone than to have an ox and an ass together plowing a field. It's way better. Huh, go figure. So you take that to relationships. If you are a born-again believer and you want to date someone who's lost, or if you're a born-again believer and you want to date someone who does not want to walk with God, even though they're saved you're actually going to become someone who does nothing for the Lord. You won't do anything for the Lord. Because it's much better, it's much easier, I should say, not better. It's much easier for someone to pull you down than for you to pull them up. It never works. It never works. It never works. There's a lot of Christians that think, well, I like them. Maybe I can win them to the Lord. And then they can walk with God. And then, But deep down inside their deceitful heart, they're like, you know what? I really like this person. I really want to date them. And I know that I'm not supposed to date them unless they get saved. So I'm going to do everything they can to get them saved. And then once they're saved, then I can date them. No. No. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's called evangelism dating. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And if you just want to know a story, I'll sit down with you an hour and I'll tell you my story. It was a disaster. It was the worst mistake I've ever made in my entire life. And I still regret it to this day. It doesn't work. If you're in that kind of a circumstance, you know what you actually should do? You walk with God. You can witness to that person, lead them to the Lord. They need to learn how to walk with God. And then if God brings you together, remember the pattern? Then you date. But most people are not willing to do that. They're not willing to sacrifice their emotions and trust God knowing that he knows what's best because they're pretending, I know what's best. I know what's going on. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Yea, have God said, did he actually say? Yes, yes, he did. And that's why you need to know your Bible. Because your flesh is going to come and say, well, is it really that bad to just, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to go to that party. It's really not that bad. Or, you know what? I mean, people are cussing. Is it really that bad if I just say one or two cuss words? Is it really, I mean, is, come on, is it really? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It is. And if you participate in those sorts of things and it doesn't bother you at all on the inside, then you probably don't even belong to God. And there's some other things you need to deal with. Because the Spirit of God, once you're saved, it lives inside of you. And it should be convicting you like crazy when you're doing things that are ungodly. And if he's not, then he's probably not in there. Because he would be chastising you as a loving father does towards his children. Okay, so the first thing he does is he questions the word of God. 
The second thing that he does is he contradicts the word of God. So he's talking to the woman, and notice he's talking to the woman and not the man, and that's a strategic uh, move on his part because Adam knows the truth. Adam's very logical. He's very objective. He knows what God had said, but he attacked the woman. And this is what happens in my life. Uh, the world, the flesh, the devil, he is very good at getting to me through my wife. Not that my wife is, is less godly than me. No, it's because she's close to my heart. She's very, very close to my heart. And there are certain things that she can be moved in her emotions that really trouble her. And if she's troubled, I'm troubled. And so if he really wants to attack me, he attacks my wife. He attacks my kids. That's how he gets at me. And that's a pattern that he always follows. Number two, verse two. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So he questions the word of God, first of all, and then he puts her in this situation. And then in verse four, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So he says, did God actually say that? Then she explains herself. And then in verse four, he says, ye shall not surely die. So he contradicts it. That's your second point there. Contradicts the word of God. He questions it at first. He contradicts it. Secondly, he's like, no, that's not true. Did God actually say that? No, he didn't say that. And then in verse five, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so the third thing that he does there is he changes the word of God. So he questions it first. He comes against it and he contradicts it second. And once he's able to put that seed of doubt in your mind about what God actually said, then he changes it. And this is what our flesh does every single time. When you want something bad enough, you will put yourself in a situation where you will question, well, did God actually say that? I mean, did he actually mean it that way? Did he actually? I mean, surely, even going back to the whole dating lost people situation, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I need to win them to the Lord. Okay, we're really good at making excuses and manipulating ourselves to put ourselves in situations that we really want to be in. When God actually said, uh, hold on a second. Yes, I do have a heart for everybody, but you right now, you have these emotions towards this person and it's not good. And if you're in that circumstance, let me just tell you something. It's much better for you to not evangelize that person. <gasps> yes. Think logically. And I'm not saying send them to hell. Send them to somebody else. You know what I mean? Do you not have other people in this room? that you can send someone of the opposite sex to you in order for someone to give them the gospel? You should. That's why our youth ministry is made up of both girls and boys. <laughs> so ladies, if you have an opportunity with another guy and you start to feel your heartstrings getting pulled towards that guy and you think that guy is lost or they're not walking with God, he shouldn't even be an option. You should know your limitations. You should know that you're a human being who has feelings and emotions who can get attached to people. And you should send him to another guy in this youth ministry to spend some time with him and to maybe win him to the Lord or get him walking with God. That's what you should do. That should be your top priority, not your emotions. And guys, likewise, because guys are just as guilty. They get attached to girls who they shouldn't be getting themselves attached to, who are as lost as all get out, or not walking with God, and they want to date them so bad that they'll talk themselves into it when they shouldn't be doing that. They should be able to take that girl and lead that girl to another girl in this youth ministry or to another leader to spend time with that person in order for them to learn how to walk with God or for them to even get saved to begin with. 
This is like brand new stuff, but it's so simple and it's so logical. It's so logical and it will save you so much heartache. I can't even begin to tell you if you would just consider what I have to say. All right, so he questions it, he contradicts it, and then he changes it. And this is what we are so good at following ourselves because of our sinful flesh. And then number four, I mentioned this already a little bit, that the devil, he focused on the woman. He focused on Eve. There's a reason why he didn't attack Adam. He did this strategically and he did it on purpose. And this has nothing to do with women being inept. That's not what I'm talking about here. The devil is very good at what he does. He knows our weaknesses. You should know your weaknesses. You should know that you should not be in certain circumstances with certain people at certain times of the day. I know that I am more prone to sin when I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And so if I'm tired and exhausted and alone, that is a bad situation to be in. And I should know by now, because I've fallen enough, that I need to get out of there. So either I need to go to bed and go to sleep, or I need to get somebody and put them into my life during those times so that way I can talk to them so I don't fall into sin. We need to think logically. God's given us a brain to think logically. So he focused on the woman. He focused on the woman on purpose. He knew he could get to Adam through her. And he did. Because if you take a look at verse 5, he says, For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Which, by the way, is a side note. Uh, that is a complete lie. Because prior to this moment where she decides to sin and then give it unto her husband, what did they know? Because he says that once you eat this, you're going to know good and evil. What did they know already? They knew good, right? So the only thing they got out of partaking of the tree was evil. But you see how he said it? You'll know both good and evil. This is what he does. They already knew good. They didn't need evil in their life. But because of this decision, that's exactly what ends up happening. Jack, you got a question? Okay. All right. You were just raising your hand for fun? Okay, all right, good. Okay. And then take a look at verse 6. This is where everything completely fell apart. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, number one, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, number two, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, number three, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So three things here out of verse 6. Number one, she saw that the tree was good for food. If you study out the devil's pattern, write these two passages down. 1 John 2.16. Look at 1 John 2.16, or write it down, look at it, look at it later. 1 John 2.16, write that one down. And then write down Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If you read these later, what you'll find is the devil does something very, very subtle, very deceitful, and he's really good at this. This is his playbook. He uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the things that make you feel good, your own body. Let me give you an example. What's your favorite food? Chicken. Chicken. Rice pilaf. Ice cream. Okay. Now, do you ever get in a moment, thinking of your favorite food in your head right now, do you ever get in a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I would kill for ice cream. I would kill for rice pilaf. I would kill for chicken. El pollo. Okay. That's your flesh craving something that it wants. It's the lust of the flesh. Okay? So that's an easy way to identify it. If there's something inside of you that you have this desire that you want this, 
Be careful. That's the lust of the flesh. May not be what's actually good for you. All right. Number two, lust of the eye. We should know that one. When you look upon something and you're like, hmm, I want that. What would that be? Anybody got a recent one? Lust of the eye? Shoes. Shoes? <laughs> Shoes. Food? A pool? <laughs> you know what's one of mine? What's that? A shiny new barbell. A shiny new barbell. Bobby's beard. Bobby's beard. I lust after Bobby's beard. Okay. You might have some other problems. Okay. You know, one of my weaknesses, I love technology. I do. Like the newest, greatest, next best thing. I love it. I've always loved technology. I grew up in a generation where technology just started hitting the market and it was boom and it was just awesome. I mean, we went from a generation where we had nothing. Like if you had a cell phone, you were super rich to the point where you had flip flip, flip phones and or actually it was candy bar phones first and then it was flip phones and then that got old and went back to candy bars and then it got big candy bars and you got your iPhones. But I was part of the generation where Facebook was invented. There was a day where Facebook didn't exist, but now it existed and no one uses it anymore except for older people. And so you have all these things that exist. And so in my generation, what's something with me is like the newest, best, next thing when it comes to technology. I love it. I love it. And I have to fight against that. I do. It costs money. And I have to be very, very careful. So that's the lust of the eye. And then the pride of life. If I just attain this, or if I'm able to do that, or if I accomplish that, it will make me more of an important person. That's the pride of life. And I'll give you a good example of that. In my life, I've always been very good at sports. I was never as good as my oldest sister. She was amazing at sports, but I was pretty good at sports and I could hold my own. I played baseball. I always played on the all-star teams. I never sat the bench, never. And then there came a point where the the coach that I had in eighth grade, he played his son over me. And I started to just, you know what? I don't even want to play baseball anymore. And if I'm like, going to be honest with you, the reason why I didn't want to play is because I was selfish. And I actually knew that I was better than his son and I couldn't handle it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm getting tired of this anyway. So I moved on to the next sport, basketball. And I got really good at basketball. And then I quit basketball because I got into music because I found out that I'm a really good singer and I can play guitar. And that became a pride of life thing. I started to find my identity in those things that I could do that made me feel like I'm important. And what I didn't realize is those things did not make me important. They didn't. Because all those things, they came to an end. They never satisfied. The only person that actually makes me feel important and that it lasts is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that matters. But it took me a while to get to that point. So you might struggle with that too. But this is exactly what he does. Good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. Pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eye. And it says, a tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. So three things right there. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Right there in his first attack towards humankind. And he was successful because she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And this guy's a knucklehead. He's an idiot because he knew what God said. And here, I don't know how it actually unfolded because the Bible isn't clear, but there's two ways this could have unfolded. And we'll be done. I know we're way over. Just hang with me for a second. There's two ways this could have unfolded. All right. You have the devil here. You got Eve here and you got Adam standing right next to her. And he's hearing every single thing that's unfolding. And as he's hearing what's unfolding, he could have easily intervened and said, no, we're not going to do it and could have protected her. And he didn't. Or he's off tending the garden because they decided to divide and conquer. And so he's tending the garden. He's keeping it. He's tilling the ground. She's doing her thing. And, and the devil shows up. Lucifer shows up and starts talking with her. And then she takes of it. And then she eats of it and brings it over to him and says, here, 
You know what he could have done? Where did you get that from? Where did you get that from? Well, I got it from, no, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that. And now you've done the one thing that God said we're not supposed to do. I don't know what God's going to do. I know he's coming down here in just 30 minutes, because I know you got to watch. 30 minutes. God's coming down, and he's going to talk with us. Maybe, just maybe, maybe if I go and I talk with him, I can make things okay. Maybe I can be an advocate, and I can mediate between you and God, and he'll let you live, and somehow he'll cover your sin. Maybe he'll do it. There's got to be a way out. He didn't do that. What did he do? He took of the fruit. And this is what guys do. Rather than actually playing their role and protecting women, they use them and abuse them. Because he was very selfish. And he wanted her. He chose her over God. That's what he did. And she didn't know. In fact, if you study in the, in the scriptures, you find out in 2 Timothy. Actually, it might be 1 Timothy. Either one. It's one of the Timothys. It says that Eve, that she was ignorant during the transgression. Like, yeah, she messed up and she made mistakes, but it was Adam. Adam was the one that made the mistake. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he didn't do it. And this is why there's so many problems in a lot of our families today, because guys, husbands, are not being the men who God has made them to be. They're not being the leaders that they're supposed to be, and they're letting things get out of control. And that's probably why in a lot of circumstances, whether you're in one or you know of one or there's something in your family Dysfunctional relationships occur, especially when men are not willing to do what God has told them to do. And that is the truth. Because every stable home that I have known and that I have seen is because the man was willing to have a strong relationship with God and to love his family enough to lead them and guide them properly. Not because he's a dictator, but because he loves God and he loves his family and he wants what's best for his family. And it's the complete opposite on the other side. And so he royally screwed up. He messed up. And so the next time someone says, well, well, Eve did it, it was Eve's fault. No, it's not true. Adam, Adam was the idiot. Adam could have protected her. And even if she partook of the fruit and he didn't know anything about it, he could have mediated for her and done something and talked with God about it and rescued her. And he didn't. He decided to fall with her and he's such an idiot for it. But here's the reality. So are we. Because we're born in their image and now we do the things that they do. And so when you read this passage, I hope you see you. Because when I read this passage, I see me. I see the things I struggle with. I see the root cause of a lot of the bad stuff in my own life. All right, hit these paragraphs, we're done. The serpent strategically attacked in the perfect moment of weakness. Eve did not know and believe God's words to counter the attack. Adam failed to teach, protect, and lead his wife according to the word of God. And he failed because he forgot his personal relationship with God and his purpose in glorifying God. If he would have remained focused, he would have gone to great lengths to protect the help God gave him to fulfill his God-given purpose. And in this battle, Satan seems to gain the victory by putting a stop to God, receiving glory and honor and pleasure from his special creation. But the Lord's grace and mercy stepped in with a redemptive plan to restore God's plans and purposes. And we'll find out that as you finish out chapter 3, that God did step in and he actually covered their sin, but they still were fallen. We can see throughout the Bible that Satan continues a similar subtle plan of attack against the seed of the woman and god prophesied that messiah in genesis 3 15 so at this point hopefully you should be able to see that there's much more at stake here than you fulfilling your heart's desire and finding true love and until you understand this you'll never understand relationships and their purpose so this is this is heavy heavy stuff these are things that 
Honestly, they will save you a world of hurt if you're willing to do things God's way. God's way is a lot... um, Well, let me put it this way. Doing things God's way may seem a lot longer, but it's actually not. You know why? When you're willing to do things God's way, it may seem longer, but if you're not willing to do things God's way, you will be satisfied carnally in the short term, but then it's going to take you a lot longer to get out of it. It's going to take you a lot longer to unlearn those things. I know a ton of people in my life that have decided to do things the world's way, and they ended up, you know, either whether they got knocked up and then they got married, or they ended up uh, getting married and they were just partiers or whatever. But I know of a lot of circumstances where they were able to endure that kind of a marriage for a little while, but it came to an end, and ended up in divorce. And unfortunately, when that happens, divorce is not really the answer God ever intends, because then you might have children that are in the mix. And guess who's paying for it then? The kids. Now the kids are paying for it. And now they're put in a situation that's very, very difficult. And some of you guys know that firsthand. And it's very, very hard. It was never intended to be that way. And so if they would have just done it the right way the first time, then there wouldn't have been as much fallout as there were there was. And that's the same as you can see it from Adam and Eve. If they would have just done it right the first time, we wouldn't be in sin. We wouldn't be in this situation today. But we are. So, all right, let's go ahead and pray and then we're done. God, thank you so much for our time in your word tonight. I pray that you would help us to uh, take these things and hide them deep in our heart, um, that we would really just determine the course of our life through these things and really trust you every step of the way. We love you very much. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, Derek Green, if anybody wants to get-